It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torn, what's up? You know, you know, you know, you know, you know. (laughs) Hey, so listen, I'm going to give you a hashtag, one that we probably won't talk about, but I want to make sure that history records it in the interaction that you and I have. Hashtag when they see us. When they see us. Yes. Hashtag when they see us. That's all I'm going to say. So here okay. we are in Podland uh, to begin, and and I want I want to just highlight the fact that Oregon, Oregon, not Oregon, Oregon. <laughs> either way, <laughs> can you say it either way? Can you say it either way? Yeah, any way you want. You can do it's that. Okay, cool. All right. So I want to see that Oregon. I don't want folks out there listening to feel like like I don't know phonetics. Like there are words that I messed up, but that's not one of them. Uh, I see that Oregon is introducing a bill to cut down on racially motivated. 911 calls. Hey, Julie, I also see that Sephora is closing stores, about 400 of their stores nationwide for profiling SZA, S-Z-A. She's an R&B artist. Yeah. I also see that was uh, the similar action that was taken by Starbucks about a year ago, May, I want to say May 25th of 2018, uh, when they did the exact same thing. Uh, We know that employers in Uh, Georgia are beginning to speak up, particularly employers in the entertainment and film industry. They are beginning to speak up about the abortion ban. So there is a lot to talk about in Podland. Yeah, no, there there is. And I'm particularly interested first with the the Sephora thing. Um, Kudos to them. That's cost a lot of money to close a store. Yep. It needed to happen, clearly. Um, but they also are doing – they've had a lot of problems around disability um, customer service in the stores. And they have a, a program now in one of their their warehousing and distribution centers where they're hiring about like 30% of the employees there. Uh, they want to be people with disabilities. Fantastic. Awesome. But I'm super curious as – with this particular training, one, does it include any disability customer service? Are we just focusing and being reactive because this is a, um, and focusing on, on race and gender? Um, or are, are we going to kind of get the full meal deal when they actually take the time to close the store to give some disability training as well? So if you work at Sephora, I definitely, we definitely want to hear from you if, if you attend the training. Hey, and you know, so listen, we're not going to talk about this story, but I do want to encourage you, Julie, because you raised a very good point. Will that training cover people with disabilities? So if you don't mind, uh, as my pod partner, go to my Twitter page and I actually put up a a tweet, a a thread, maybe three or four tweets. Uh, I'd love for you to comment and, and ask that question because... I am going to be reaching out to some executives at Sephora to see if I can get them on my Sirius XM show. And I'd love for them to see that tweet and particularly your piece around. Will this be included in the one day training? It's only one day. I mean, how much, you know, some would out there say, well, how much can they cover in one day, Julie? 
<laughs> I think we can well, make it for a lot. all of us. Yeah. Well, you're asking for a lot, right? <laughs> I'm How always asking for a lot. How do you feel? Um, pretty good. I've been home all week. I've been catching up on on really great disability solution stuff that we've been working on. And I got a surprise for you in uh, Boston. I won't leave Uh-oh. it on this pod. We may drop it on the next pod. I'm very excited. Uh, but we'll talk about that a little later. Hey, so listen, when we did the pod uh, a couple of weeks ago, I actually dropped the first of the two stories. And I really do love our two story format. Yeah. Why don't you start us off this week. Give us the first story. I think you found something in the Harvard Business Review. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Harvard Business Review. They do a lot on diversity and a lot on leadership and management, as, as I'm sure you know. And they dropped an article on June 3rd, uh, why do people hide their disabilities at work? Uh, okay, that's a really great topic. And HBR is always data driven. So um, the long and short of it is there's a, a organization called the Center for Talent Innovation. It doesn't look like they focus specifically on disability, but they do focus on um, workforce innovation and talent innovation. So they've done this fantastic survey. And this I, I want everyone to listen to this piece. They discovered that a full 30% of the professional workforce fits the current federal definition of having a disability. 30% of the professional, right? We're not talking about the janitors and the food slingers and, and the warehouse workers. We're talking about their professional workforce has a disability. Can you believe that? So now in this particular study, did they look at the entire workforce or did they look at the federal workforce. I want to be very clear. Yeah. So not the federal workforce, the mm-hmm. the employment space. So not the federal government. But Hold on. He's- Hold on. Sl- okay. Slow your roll. Slow okay. your roll. I'll do it. I'll mm-hmm. try. Okay. Yep. Yep. See, so, <laughs> so that means all. Uh, did they in any way exclude anyone? Now, naturally, I don't know what the representative sample is, and mm-hmm. I don't know if they took a certain amount from each particular, but did they say in the report that they excluded any particular space like, you know, software engineers and some of these highfalutin (laughs) Wall Street folks, like, did they exclude, explicitly exclude any particular sandbox? Because I don't want people to feel like folks with disabilities cannot participate in some of these sandboxes. Yeah. And I I think that's the common assumption is that we can only work in entry level or food and filth or part-time jobs. And from what it looks like, this is really focused on professional workforce and and your kind of corporate workforce and is not so much focused on the entirety or the entry-level position. They do a really nice job of looking at employees that have degrees and have education and have experience and those kind of things. And that is much, much different than most of the assumptions about the workforce population with a disability. So, okay. um, yeah, so I'm always looking for stats. I do this presentation called this, the state of disability. And there are so many working age people with disabilities in this country, but to see a breakdown by professional 30% meeting the federal definition of disability, that's a lot. But you know, you you know, you and I have talked about that in the past, though. We've talked about, uh, I want to say it was like one out of seven 
Um, and I don't know, I can't remember the number, Julie, you know, was it one out of seven that knows someone with a disability or one out of seven in our workplace? But 30 is a very high number, a third of the workforce. So where does this number rest on your scale of revelation, of new information, of enlightenment? Where does this 30% number rest on your scale? So in August, the CDC updated, August of 18, the CDC updated the um, population stats for people with disabilities. And so now one in four Americans meets the definition of disability, the, the federal definition. Of those, about 31 million are working age, and a, a good portion are also people with mental illness. So every year, about 45 million American adults either suffer from or continue to have mental health issues or disabilities. And so when you, and those are adults. And so we've got 31 million that are working age. We've got 45 million adults, some may be over working age, and they have mental health disorders. And so this is a really big number. And I've been chirping a lot about paying attention to employees and the, the job seeker pool of talent with mental health disorders because they were the largest portion of disability. We're just the ones you can't see. And we have a lot of stigma around us. It, if you are in the disability community, it's like, well, hey, I can't see your disability, so it's not good enough. In, in the working world, it's either not serious enough or it's very scary. And so mental health kind of gets the shaft um, all the way around in, in a lot of ways when it comes to employment. And, and so this number is huge because that tells me we already have people in our workforce and in our, our staff that have a disability, but they're fearful about disclosing it. And they're professionals. They're, they're not what you think we are. So let me let me uh, jump in real quick. So last week, I, two weeks ago, I was actually on site with a client and they brought me in, uh, Julie, because they wanted me to facilitate. Mm hmm what some may deem to be an uncomfortable conversation. And when I go uh, to organizations, I will give them a framework or an agenda syllabus, mm -hmm. if you will, of, of some of my higher level talking points. But I also will ask a few things that are organic and in the moment. And so in this particular instance, a room of three, 400 people, I and they were all interns at this organization, 2019 interns. I said, is there anyone in the room that has a disability? One person stood up. Wow. Let me tell you what that did. After I was done with the panel, she walked over and she said she had never <laughs> felt the way that she felt in her life. Now, I don't know what types of jobs she's had in the past. She was an undergraduate student. I can't, you know, foresee that any of them have been as significant as where we were two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But having that mm -hmm. moment as a part of her internship experience yeah. and helping to inform her career, all I can say is I know that it lit a different fire inside of of her. It, it's powerful saying it out loud at work and I, to our clients. It's powerful. And it's one of my kind of favorite things to do. And, and I really feel like as a person who has mental health disorders and has invisible disabilities, 
that I have a responsibility to be an example and to be kind of that that safe place or that beacon for other people who may be suffering with their mental illness or may not have their mental illness managed right now, that that we can do this and that there are other people in their space that look and, and feel like I do or feel like they do. And when I've, I've had the opportunity to disclose and then have someone else disclose with me or, or to me and say like, oh my God, I've never done that. I feel so powerful right now. And just being able to say who you are is a game changer when your disability is hidden. That got me a little teary eyed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let, so let me ask you, no, and that's all right. You know, that's part of, that's part of what we do. You know, one day, Julie, I want to talk about your disability. If you are comfortable with that, I want to talk, we haven't talked about that. I want to talk about that, but, but what goes on and what's the difference between self-disclosure versus self-ID? Yeah. This is just one point I wanted to, wanted to bring up. Thanks for, for mentioning it. It's, it's super important. So if you work for a company that's a federal contractor, when you apply for a job, they ask you, what's your race? What's your ethnicity? Are you a veteran? Uh, Do you have a disability? And that's called self-identification. That's going through a government form and checking a box. Self-disclosure is something entirely different. And it's really what they're talking about in this HBR article, um, being able to talk to your manager, who is the, the person that you're most likely to self-disclose to when you make that decision and how important it is for companies to understand the difference. I was talking to a compliance leader who shall go unnamed, um, I don't know, six or seven months ago. And she said, Julie, don't use the word self-disclosure. We don't want people to self-disclose. We want them to self-ID. And I was so fucking pissed because I'm like, why? Why am I going to check your box for you when you don't actually care about who I am? And that's where companies need to kind of understand if they want to increase self-identification, they have to get comfortable with people bringing their entire selves to work. And that means being able to self-disclose at the time and place of your choosing if you have an invisible disability and having your management prepared to create a, a place where all of your employees can be successful. And I, I thought one of the most interesting things about the CTI study is that they identified the six traits of a inclusive leader. And none of them have to do with saying we value diversity, we, you know, check the box, we we want you to self-ID, not self-disclose. It's all about making sure everyone gets their voice heard. And if you can't get your voice heard by being who you are, if you can't even say, this is who I am, then you're not working for an inclusive leader. And you're not going to feel like you can be a holistic part of that team. Does that, I I love that topic gets me like kind of crazy. And so I get off on a tangent, but do you get what I'm saying? It's like, I don't, I'm not going to check your box for you, dude. Give me a reason. Yeah. So I know that a thousand people are going to download the pod and listen. (laughs) Another four, five, 600 or so are going to receive it from a friend. I just hope that they hear the point where you distinguish between the whole checking of the box and doing it the way that the employer might want it to be done because it's safe and not safe for you as an employee, but safe for them as a company. Right. 
versus being able to identify, be comfortable, be, you know, uh, empowered, feel empowered. Like I really do matter in this organization. You're hearing from an individual and I'm going to reinforce this a bit later with uh, with my name drop. But you're hearing from an individual as to how they prefer to have this kind of unfold. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, no. So um, it's a great article. We'll post it in the show notes. It's definitely worth a read if you're in our space um, or if you just want to know more about how to engage people with disabilities in in a way that's uh, inclusive and meaningful to us. Which is important. Show notes are also important. So make sure you take a look at them. Is it cool for me to move to uh, story number two? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really into this conversation. Let's do it. No worry. So we're going to hit it from a different direction. Uh, and what Julie and I are trying to do as we shared in the very, very beginning, uh, and shout out to you, Julie, you've rolled with me for 10 previous episodes. This is episode number 11. And I know it's not a whole lot to bra- brag about. You know, again, we have an every other week cadence. So we're only 11 pods in. But I am really, really appreciative of how you and I have grown together uh, since January 20 something of 2019. So this particular show, I'm sorry, uh, article is around Airbnb, uh, an Airbnb host who asked the question, which monkey is going to stay on the couch? That I watched the video. It's horrifying. This all happened around 2 a.m. on a Saturday very, very early on a Saturday morning. And as as in many, you know, heated scenarios, the owner of this New York townhouse uh, and the guests, which happened to be five African-American men, black men, uh, brown, caramel, toffee colored. They were five men of color. They had some pigmentation. Uh, five of them in this New York townhouse. They exchanged words with the host of this Airbnb and she, in the midst of their back and forth, that heated exchange, she actually called them criminals saying she felt threatened by their presence before asking which monkey is going to stay on the couch. Now, Julie, let me tell you. There's a comedian in the community who has since passed away. His name is Bernie Mac. Bernie Mac has a famous line that says there's going to be some furniture moving up in this motherfucker. (laughs) And I'm trying to tell you, if I had been the guest in that Airbnb and she referred to me or anyone else in that room as a monkey, there would have been some furniture moving up in that blicky. I promise you. There would have been some furniture moving. Now, how does that furniture move? I don't know. That doesn't necessarily mean literally, but trust and believe she will have she would have known that I was present. So here's my question. We're not getting ready to spend a lot of time on her, their exchange. I wasn't there. I can't say that she was 100 percent wrong. I won't say that they were 50 percent right. I want to try to be neutral. And so my question to the listeners is are platforms like Airbnb and others responsible for the actions taken or the experiences of those that connect 
using their platform? And I'm going to start that question with you. Do you have an opinion about that, Julie? Yeah, I, I do. And I think this is another great example of technology getting ahead of humanity and also regulation. I, I'm, I'm a big Airbnb fan. If you've heard me talk at all, you know we we love some Airbnb up in our in our travels. Um, but I also but you know now, Julie, 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 Julie. You know, <laughs> you know, just like three years ago, five years ago, if I would have walked up to you on the street in uh, uh, Indiana and I would have said to you, "You can just go sleep on a stranger's couch." You'd have been like, that dude is absolutely crazy. No, for real. But go ahead. Keep I, no, at, at keep first going. I thought it was really gross, but, there but you now go. I love right. it. Okay, go and, ahead. And I, I like kind of their culture and stuff, but here's the issue. It's, it's Airbnb, it's Facebook, it's Uber, it's Lyft, where technology is colliding. Um, people who have not been exposed to each other or who really just are – not great people. I'll say that the lady was 100% wrong. I have no problem saying that. And they, the technology companies, which is what Airbnb is, is they, they don't want to put parameters in place and they don't want to spend money to make sure that there are safeguards in place. And Airbnb is more reactive. They, they seem to kind of get on these things faster than like an Uber or a Lyft who are dealing with constant issues of just safety, really, for, for these guests and for their hosts in some cases. And I, I appreciate that. But there has to be a better way, not just to vet a, a person whose house you're sleeping at, but also to train them, right? I feel like Airbnb, their culture is, you know, kind of be at home anywhere, stay anywhere, live anywhere. Their opportunity as a company who focuses on culture, is to impact and break down barriers for their hosts and their guests. And that's just smart fucking business. I mean, they're smart because they know that if these guys are probably not going to stay at an Airbnb again, and now they're in the Washington Post talking about it, and other people are like, I don't want to stay at an Airbnb. That I don't want I don't even want to be exposed to a person like that. When really what they could have done is done a lot more training for their homeowners. But because they're not employees, just like Uber and Lyft, it's like they've just discarded that responsibility. And it's not only a responsibility, but it's smart for them. It's it's critical for them to keep growing their business to get ahead of these things and no company is going to be perfect, but they have to do better. So, I mean, do you think that the platform should force independent consultants to, you know, to present or to pursue some type of certification or training? Is, is that what you're saying? You you want them to go through some sort of uh, assessment like employees have to go through to get the interview? Well, I mean, I don't know if I would say independent consultants, but I would certainly say that they're well, that's what they be, are, though. That, oh, that, you mean the host? Okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, the host. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Host. Uh-huh. I'm no, sorry. No, I get, I get yeah. what you're saying. So, yeah, I do. I mean, I think that you're making money. You're a representative of the Airbnb brand. I don't care if you work there or not. You're a representative of their brand, and you're an influencer for their brand at that point. And so why would you not put together some training, some certification for some sensitivity. How do I, this lady didn't even appropriately mark her home, which is what started the problem in the first place. And so 
I and I've I've gone through the Airbnb setup process. It literally takes five minutes to be a host. And so yeah. you want to have some parameters around who you're adding to your community because that's what Airbnb wants to be. They want to be a cult brand. They want to be a community. They want to be somewhere where you always feel safe and you always feel comfortable going. And this is the process to do that. And it's a smart investment for them long-term to do it. Yeah. So I think that, you know, again, as we continue to push through what's considered is, you know, now the gig economy, creative economy, platform economy, I do believe that these organizations, I I know, I I firmly know that there's someone out here right now, out there right now, developing uh, a different type of system to rival and to compete with, you know, the Airbnbs, the Lyfts, the the Ubers, um, you know, the the Instacarts. uh, And I don't mean to mention them in this story, although I just did. Um, I just feel like there are certainly some other people because we are listening to uh, the fur of people around the protection of data. We are experiencing these infractions uh, when we are simply doing what other people like you would do, Julie. Uh, You don't have to operate like this. Like you don't have to worry about whether or not you and the family, when you go someplace, this is going to become a bit of an issue for you. You don't have to worry about this. You have to go back five years and look at some of the headlines and read some of the stories of people of color in New York City that couldn't get a cab and they were happy that an Uber of a solution came along. So I know that this these platforms are going to continue to morph and take even a different shape as we push through the economy. But when I think of this story right here, I got to tell you, I think about Smoothie King and the two uh, locations down in North Carolina that have been shut down because their employees have written on the receipt racist Mm -hmm. statements, you know, and one Smoothie King, instead of writing Julie and your last name, they wrote nigger in a, a Smoothie King down the street from that location. Instead of writing the person, the customer's name, they wrote Chan or chink. I can't remember exactly what it was. I think about the story of the police officer who walked up in an open carry state and said, show me your hands. And then he said he wanted the person to turn off the vehicle. And the young man in the vehicle said, I'm not moving my hands because I'm not trying to get shot. I think about the arsonist burning a rainbow flag outside of the New York City gay bar. And every single incident involves a person, person that in all likelihood, Julie, is employed next to you or I. And so I refuse to abandon my approach around DNI when I show up and grab a mic, when I show up to do an engagement. I refuse to deviate, to move away from just simply being more human. What I will say in this story, it's important to note that Airbnb did respond by removing the host and they have worked with or did work with the five African-American men to find them a new place to stay at two, three, four in the morning and or for the rest of that particular vacation. I want to also say that in 2016, Airbnb introduced its open doors policy, promising guests who feel that they are discriminated against that the company would find them a similar place to stay or an alternative accommodation elsewhere. So 
while Airbnb is working to address these scenarios like Sephora and like so many others that we perhaps have not named in this 30 minute pod, I appreciate Airbnb and to that particular host. I need you to find a bit more humanity. Um, I promise we will put this show link as well in uh, the uh, posting for the pod. You got a couple of name drops or one or two? I just have one name drop this week because it's a super important one. Do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, Torrin? Can't say that I do. Okay, well, it's a big still wash. Hashtag when they see us. Hashtag when they see us. It's also, it's a big So Wash family event every Thursday night during drag race season. And Evie Oddly, who is one of my favorite queens on the show, won this season. So yay. First of all, she's uh, a a black gay drag queen. So awesome. Diversity right there. But she also is a drag queen living with a disability. And I may not say it right, but it's Ehlers-Danos syndrome. It's Really, it affects her collagen, um, and it makes her super bendy, Um, and it's a big part of her drag and her persona, and she's really integrated that into who she is um, as a drag queen, but I think it was just so empowering um, to see a person with a disability who's also a person of color, who's also, you know, in the LGBT community, um, winning uh, on a on a show and and RuPaul's Drag Race has like seven or eight Emmys. It's a fantastic show. Plug um, hashtag Drag Race and and I love it. But a huge shout out name drop to Evie Oddly for her win last week. Yeah, and this is a uh, National Pride yeah. Month too, right? Nope, it's this month. June is Pride Month. Yep, is this month? Okay. It's Pride Month. Cool. Uh, my name drop goes to Tiffany Yu. You can find her on Twitter at I'm Tiffany Yu. I am Tiffany. T-I-F-F-A-N-Y-Y-U. I'm Tiffany Yu. Tiffany actually on Twitter raised a question uh, this past week. Uh, Might the term blind spot be offensive to some in the disability community? If blind is equated with unaware or ignorant and further perpetuate the negative stigma around that disability. Appreciate it, Tiffany, for raising that on social media putting it in front of thousands to respond to uh, based on the work that she does. uh, And I, uh, I appreciate that. And it actually made me pause for a moment because in full transparency, I've used the term blind spot and I've not ever seen it to be negative. I, you know, used it in a developmental way uh, as it relates to, you know, pursuing progress, but I never thought about it from the standpoint of am I being offensive to someone that is in my proximity? So thank you, Tiffany. Awesome. You. I'm going to have to think about that one for a minute. I, I, I'm not sure how I, how I feel about that one. But, you know, as we wrap it yeah. up, um, I am so excited because next week we are going to drop our very first Crazy in the King interview. And yeah. it is yeah. Yeah, and that joint was beautiful. It was lovely. Keep talking, Julie. Keep talking. That joint was love. The conversation was bomb. Like from the beginning, he handled it. I love it. I'm not even going to say his name. I just want people to tune in next week. So what Julie just said, I don't mean to preempt her, but what Julie just said is you don't have to wait for two weeks. We are going to drop something 
next no, Wednesday. No. I'm sorry, so that's Jude. perfect. You'll have new content from us for the next two weeks, and it's going to be a two-part interview. It was that good, um, so I'm super pumped. And next week, I'll also be at Triple AED Conference in Indianapolis, um, presenting with my good friend and colleague Kathleen Lee from Cornell University. So if you're in Indy at Triple AED next week, come and uh, find us. What do you got going on, Tor? So you get to hang out with the academics, them smart folks. I oh, like yes. That. We're going to get all brainy. Awesome, awesome, awesome. What's the ROI of DNI? And I say greater humanity. And Julie, what I say is that I should probably put that on a T-shirt and start rocking it when I hit these various conferences. Greater humanity. That's the ROI. Speaking of conferences, I'm at Open 19 with Greenhouse on next Wednesday at the Jacob Javits Center in New York City. I'm going to lead a bomb presentation with representatives from Checker, from Alphabet, Visa, organization called My My Blind Spot, and of course, me. And so you can put your money on the option that our conversation is going to be frenetic and impactful from the moment the kid puts his hand on the mic. Tune in. Sirius XM channel 126 this Sunday at 1 p.m. And last thing that I want to say is consider how you show up in the workplace. Number one, find your voice. Have an awesome week. We are both ghosts. See ya. Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King podcast. I'm Julie Sowash, your co-host with Torn Ellis. Follow us on social media as Torn Ellis or Julie Sowash. And also follow our hashtag crazy and the king this episode was produced by my gorgeous husband chad Sowash, and our music is by dj cells straight out of baltimore you can find crazy and the king wherever you find your podcasts please rate us and if you like it share it with a friend we'll see you soon you've got questions we've got answers Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.